We must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support. And now for the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. F. Scott Field, and we've got a guest on today that has spent quite a good time in Major League Sports, which is really cool. We've got on today Dr. David Meyer. David, if you don't mind, tell our audience a little bit about your educational journey and how it got you to where you're at these days. Absolutely, and thank you so much for having me on. And so a little bit of background, my dream was to work in professional baseball. I played baseball growing up. When you realize you can't play a sport professionally, for those of us in the sports world, we make that decision. We want to work in that. So I grew up with a diehard sports fan father. My father was also chronically ill with kidney disease, had his first transplant when he was in his teenage years from my grandmother, lasted 27 years. He had his second kidney transplant when I was undergrad in college. That had a profound impact on me. Also, the fact that he was a diehard sports fan, and I consider him a sports genius. So it rubbed off on me. It was his way. It was my way of seeing what perseverance looks like. And so sports meant that in my life in terms of proving myself physically, even mentally, and then eventually through my education. I was learning disabled actually growing up. They wanted to put me on medication when I was real young, but I grew out of it. I grew out of my I individualized education program. So formal academia is not something that I personally ever had fond thoughts about. So it's funny I got my DBT, but um, the dream was to work in professional baseball. Got to live out that dream with the St. Louis Cardinals. Funny enough, Cardinals Mets play in the NLCS in 2006 for you baseball people out there. My father dies a few weeks after that, about a month after that. He says the Mets aren't going to be the same for a while, <laughs> a.k.a. the Mets are going to continue to stink. And nine years later after that, I'm getting hired by the Cardinals, the team that beat them. And it was really ironic, incredible dream come true. So I had nightmares of Beltran with the bat on his shoulders. I just, Oh, you are a baseball guy. I'm a diehard Mets fan. I grew up on Long Island, Islip, New York, you know, what? Wait a second. Hold on. I I'm in plain view right now. All right. Yeah. A little bit painful. And actually as a part two to this, right. You know, you've been a veteran in this area for many times as a part two, we've got a Mets rookie trainer coming on a little in a couple weeks. So it's going to be a neat little series, but all right. Yeah. Diehard Mets fan my entire life. That series was brutal. I don't fault Beltran. Mets fans do. There was a lot that went on that game, but you know, memory just etched into my brain. I can't. Let me quiz you. Let me quiz you. What was the pitch sequence? Oh, geez. All I know is that it was the bender, the, the curveball that got him. It was a first pitch changeup, if I remember correctly, which was a little odd. Right. And, and Wayno, you know, being Wayno and Adam and, and, uh, and Yachty being geniuses. And then they struck, yeah, the third pitch curveball looking. Yachty, he, to me, I used to think he represented a Mets killer. But in all honesty, the guy's just a baseball team killer. I mean, he... He does that to every team. So it's not just the Mets. Chipper Jones, I think, was more of a Mets-specific killer. But <laughs> Yachty's a Yachty. Can I tell you a quick Yachty story? Yeah, please. All right. So, to, all right. This You just got me. I, I, I'm glad you didn't tell me before we went on the air. So now I'm more <laughs> excited. Now you got the energy out of me. You woke me up for, for this Friday morning here. Um, so, okay. I get hired 2015, and Yachty lives down in Jupiter. 
and he's there on a, a daily basis coming in. As a lot of people know, he likes to cut weight. He likes to work out like a madman on that treadmill because uh, he believes in that. A little old school there. Yeah. And I see him every day on the treadmill running, and, and I'm like the only one in the facility in January, February when I first got hired trying to figure out what to do, what's going on here. And every day he's right in front of me on the treadmill, running away, running away. And he's very, he always said hello to me every single day. He waved to me, started his treadmill. And I was like, that's Yachty. That's, that's a guy that I didn't like very much. And over time, I just, you know, I, I start to get to know him. I'm like, this guy seems like a pretty nice guy and he works hard. And so one day he's in the training room office where I, in my office on my chair, and if you run the clock back to 2006, I was in SUNY Albany. I was graduating that year. Like I said, my father was sick. The Mets, uh, that game happened. And I took my dorm room chair and I chucked it across the room. I was so upset, you know, being, <laughs> come on. I was, what, 21, never really saw the Mets, you know, the Subway Series, whatever. We're not going to make this full thing about baseball, but <laughs> it was tough being a Met fan. And I'm telling him, I'm like, you know, you're sitting in my chair now. I got to tell you a story, Yachty. I, when you beat the Mets and you struck out Beltran, I was so pissed and, it, and he laughed and he got a kick out of it. And it was just like, it was just one of those pinch your skin moments of I'm now working alongside this guy. Eventually I'd help rehab him a little bit. And I was looking hit up at him on TV nine years before thinking like, so talk about like manifestation guy yeah. in Long Island grew up on the Island too. Yep. Didn't ever think I had any business being in a professional sports setting. The dream was to work for the Mets, and I got a day there in 2014 with Mickey Levinson, rest his soul. Mickey passed away uh, about a month now ago. HSS, one of the senior therapists, uh, was very good to me. He's the one who brought me to City Field when I was doing my residency at HSS, and uh, very, very grateful for him, very good to me. And he gave me that first opportunity, met David Wright, brushing up against Terry Collins, like on the field behind the turtle, like, and then the Cardinals job came after that. So yeah. you, you got me pumped up about baseball now though. So well, you, you just brought it out of chills me. down my spine too. You know, I feel that connection there. I love it. So tell me a little bit about, let's say, um, you know, people are interested in becoming, you know, a therapist for a pro sports team. I thought that's what I was going to do too. I was going to work for the Mets for sure. Right. I was going to be an ortho bro my whole life and uh, you know, just do, <laughs> pro athletes and nothing but now fast forward many years wife and kids and family and you know several jobs later I've worked my way up the ladder in kind of the geriatric world so it went a completely different way but it worked out because now it came full circle and the the I'm teaching full time and the the courses that they needed happened to be geriatrics and tegumentary and then patient care one and two which is transfers and wheelchairs and walkers so you know it all it all worked out in the, in the grand scheme of things but it you know early on in my career I thought I was going to be pro sports guy for life um, tell me a little bit about the roadmap how, how do people break into the the pro sports world when it comes to physical therapy yeah so it's one of those things where it's tough to just fall into it if you don't really want to be there. And if you doubt yourself, it, you're, you'll talk yourself out of it rather quickly. I was just listening to, I listen to a lot of motivational stuff. I have one of my channels on Spotify and one of the, it's, it's all a lot of famous stuff, movies and Les Brown and, and people of that nature. And one of the things I've heard come up a lot of times is, there was a man and he was given the decision of how he was going to be executed. And he had two choices. He could face the firing squad the next day, or he could go walk out those doors. And he goes, what's out those doors? And they say to him, oh, the scariest things. And they pretty much tell him only that. And he thinks about it. And the next day he says, okay, I'll face the firing squad. Somebody else asks, hey, what was behind those doors? And the person said, freedom. And I think about that and I think about some of the decisions I've made. And so for me, I'll share with everybody listening what those, what those steps were. So I decided that I wanted to go back and do a residency because I knew I was ill-equipped. I tell the story, my first pro athlete, the rehab itself didn't go bad, but he retours UCL in his elbow and it went bad for him. And I was just, I was so excited and overzealous and I was throwing with the player. And this is when I was working in, in Westchester for Tim Tyler, 
we might know. And Tim is a big, you know, Tim Tyler, Tyler Twist. And it was a good opportunity. And, I, and I'm very grateful for Tim, by the way. Shout out to Tim. But I knew that I was not ready. Like I wasn't, I wasn't ready to work in professional baseball. I didn't have the rehab progression stuff there. And so I did the residency. So I knew I needed more. And then I meet Mike Reinold through Tim. And I'm at, I'm at Team Concepts in Vegas. And I, I'm having it. We're by the bar. And I think we were both having like a, a quick drink or something. And I, I was like, all right, I got to talk to Mike. And it's funny because Tim always gave me crap. He's like, you know who you remind me of? You remind me a little bit of Mike Rhino. Now I'm five foot five. Okay. Mike's not very tall either. <laughs> and, and so, he, and I, and we both have a lot of energy and I, and I was like, oh, okay, I, I guess I'll take that as a compliment. And so I meet Mike and I was like, and Mike is, a, I mean, an absolute stud obviously in the field and I'm getting this opportunity to chat with him. And I'm like, Mike, I want to work in baseball. I want to kind of go do what you did with the socks and everything. Like, you know, what should I do? And, and Mike is very practical. He's very pragmatic. And he goes, Dave, you should go. If, I mean, you want to work for the Mets, then who takes care of the Mets? HSS, do the residency. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I applied to the residency. I didn't tell Tim because I was intimidated by him. And he's the one who has, breaks the news to me. He's like, Dave, you're no longer working for me. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, you're going to go do the residency. And I gave you a good word. Why didn't you tell me? I know all of them. And I'm like, well. You're not the easiest to feel like I could talk to. And, and so anyway, I sought out these opportunities. And then when I was at HSS, and the reason I told that story before about the, the execution thing is pivotal moments. On the interview, they asked me, hey, why do you want to be a resident here? And I said to them right away, I just, I, it just came out. I was like, I want to be in the dugout next year. And Teresa Chayaya and a few of the other senior therapists, they're like looking at me. I call them the firing squad, actually, <laughs> you know, because they're, they're, I don't want to say old school, but again, they've a wealth of experience in sports and HSS, you know, big reputation. And I thought I screwed it up. I thought I blew it. And they eventually, they tell me like, no, 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 Dave, we actually want you because you knew you wanted to be in a, a specific specialty. You weren't just coming in to be a part of the HSS world. You want, you had intention. And then another moment comes up where Pete Dreovich, Greg Norman's former PT. I mean, Pete is a absolute, I call him heavy hitter in the field of hip therapy, especially for, for with Dr. Kelly, Brian Kelly. And there was a moment I just, I went up to Pete and I said, Hey, what can I do to, to increase my chances of working in pro sports? And it was that thing again. He just, I just put it out there. So like, I guess the point I'm trying to make, and then eventually that led to him telling me there was an interview for the Cardinals and, and he didn't even help me get the job as much as he just told me it was there. And so I guess my point is like for you out there, the, the most important thing you can do, it is your thought thinking, it's your thoughts. It's your, I'm going to ask, I am going to think it's possible and I'm not going to talk myself out of into the firing squad and, 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 and kill my chances before I let them happen. That's number one. Yeah. David, you brought up so many huge points Sorry. there and I want to, I want to come back and talk about all of them separately because they're, they're huge, but one, I'm not a huge believer in luck. I feel like you make your own luck. You present these opportunities. I wouldn't even have gotten the teaching job I got had I not gone and pursued my EDD, which I didn't really want to do. It just kind of fell into my lap. And I was finishing my transitional doctorate after my dad had passed away. And I didn't finish it at East Carolina, where I started as a master's program. Then I luckily got into St. Augustine to finish the transitional doctorate there. Right. And I finished that up. And while I was finishing that transitional doctorate up, the head of the EDD came to me and said, Hey, are you interested in teaching ever? And I said, no, not really. My dad was an English teacher for 30 some odd years. And I sat in on his classes. Those kids were jerks. I don't want any part of teaching, you know, and he's like, well, it's a little different yeah. grad school. Like they're paying to be there. They want to learn that that's their specialty. You know, you should consider it. So, you know, I did, I considered it and it did seem like a good fallback option right now who knew COVID was going to hit and everything was going to fall apart. Right. But Right. Uh, I, all these opportunities that I've had to work in these great positions came because I worked really hard and pursued them specifically. And, and, you know, some of them did fall into my lap in a lucky type situation, but I never would have had that lucky situation had I not gotten to the point that I got to by hard work and by pursuing my dreams and, and finishing things out. So I think you bring up a, a great point with, with, you know, the opportunity situation. You just have to ask, you have to go for it. You have to be committed you know, and keep asking because you're going to get a lot of no's along the way. So find another avenue, you know, find yeah. another way. 
A lot of no's. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of the, no's. The next thing you talked about here, and I, I want to talk into this is, you know, should one pursue a specialty? You know, you said you wanted to do, you know, a residency. Is that something that's necessary? Do you think yeah. it's beneficial? Talk a little bit about the residency and then we'll talk about the third point. Yeah, I guess I'm somebody that does believe in in aiming somewhere. I love the quote, she or he who aims nowhere goes nowhere. I hear myself saying that a lot. I think it's been a very specific strategy that I've taken in terms of aiming somewhere. And I've learned from what I've learned from some of the things I've done post PT school is when I circumvent my goals, it, it just seemed, well, eventually we're coming back and wait, why didn't I go directly for that? And so I guess I've just learned like, go for it. And I I'm like you in the, in the podcasting world and the, and I have to market my stuff. So I've learned from some people like, it's good, even if you have that niche avatar, even if you think, well, that's going to limit me, it's funny how it works because then it actually, you attract outside of it. And and I, I guess I found in, in my career that, look, when I worked in professional baseball, you better believe I saw the craziest medical stuff. First case of osteosarcoma I saw being in professional baseball. Unfortunate. I, I speak of that quickly, and, and, and that was a terrible, terrible uh, case tons of tons of different things from from players getting hit in between the legs you don't see that in the pt clinic of of a, a fractured testicle <laughs> I mean, so, sorry to rant but but you know there's things that you just don't see in the in the normal pt clinic that you saw working in professional baseball so when i hear the statements a lot of times and i i don't want to knock academia or your colleagues or you but a lot there is a pervasive mentality. I'll tell you, I'll tell you straight up. Marilyn Moffitt told me to my face, the PT goddess at NYU. She told me straight to my face. She said, you know, sports is boring, Dave. I would go into our office, like literally Dr. Moffitt said, you know, sports is boring. So that was her opinion. I, I, I'm really hesitant when a student comes to me and says, X told me this. And I say, well, what do you say? What is your story? And so I guess for me, like, I very much believe if you do want to specialize, go specialize. Now, if you say, I don't really want to, and I want to be a generalist, and I want to really be exposed to it, go to the hospital and get a nice, you know, in Texas, you have a whole bunch of really good ones. In New York, we have some good ones. Like, go somewhere where they can expose you there and go with that. You don't have to spend. So I guess I believe very much of what do you want? Why are you in there? Why are you doing it? Well, I don't know. I want to kind of explore. Well, then you should probably not specialize. <laughs> yeah, I but. think, you know, one of the reasons this podcast was born was because of that disconnect between the ivory tower of academia and the real world of clinical. And we're trying to bridge that gap. Mm. There. We're trying to show people, students and professors, what is out there, what is available to them, right? And, and I'm a very big proponent of physical therapy only being the tip of our iceberg, right? There's so yeah. many things that we can do out there these days. Immerse yourself in it, learn, right? Because yeah. worst case scenario, you don't like it. And guess what? The great thing of physical therapy, there's 30 different other things you can do with it. So don't don't sweat it. Try things, taste things, see, see what, what piques your interest, you know, for sure. But I want to circle back around to one of the other things that you mentioned there. And you mentioned Greg Norman, right? Phenomenal golfer, right? Some other big names in, in, in different sports and stuff. But is there a lot of crossover with professional physical therapists going to other sports here and there? Or is it once you're in your sport, like baseball, you're locked in? It's a great question. The Good news is that there is people when, when you're in the big four, you're in a little bit of a club there. And there is that like even the, the sports section of the APTA, the, the heavy hitters, they're working with elite athletes in different sports. Of course, Mike is going to be known for his baseball, but that doesn't mean you're not going to get a, a you know, a, a Patriot coming into champion. Like you're yeah. going to get several of those. So, well, and I, shout out to uh, Dr. Blaze Williams and Dr. Walt Jenkins, two of my professors from East Carolina. I, I got to see a lot of sports when I was, when I was back awesome. there. So I love that. Yeah. I, I think, I think there is crossover. Now here's the thing. I do believe this careful how I say this, but one of the things my boss with the Cardinals, well, it wasn't my initial boss, but he came in my second year from Duke, Robert Butler, Robert Butler, for those of you that don't know, has been revolutionary in helping Gray Cook prove his stuff through the FMS, scientifically, objectively, and as an academia and at a Duke. 
And I think one of the things are his first year when he was my boss, I think one of the first things was a little bit of that learning the game. Like you and I were diehard baseball people. I will always be what, you know, you don't see it, but right over there at the 1969 Mets, they're all their autographs. My father, I, I got to show you that after, but the thing, the thing is this, like if you're going to work in that sport, you didn't have to play it at a high level, but you have to respect it. And I'm, and, and Dr. Butler respected it. There's no question, but I think that first year there was a learning curve of how we're going to integrate all of our knowledge. And for me, I think I, I probably struggled more so on the objective side, but the side of the throwing programs and being integrated in the baseball side, that was a little bit, I was able to run with that really quickly, but then the sports science stuff and, and HSS didn't have a ton of that. So like that was the area where I was learning. So it's all different, but I think personally you go in, I'm going to be careful with this, but you don't, you don't have to play, have played the sport, but I think that you do start with a sport that means the most to you, that you understand, that you understand the most. However, athletes at that level do there there are a lot of similarities in personality there's similarities in movement and rotational athletes greg norman and and a, and a baseball player are going to have some asymmetries that might be similar being that they swing in one direction maybe the baseball player swings in both but you know so i think uh, i think you can go i mean somebody that i worked with out of the blue jays organization who now is working for the celtics that that story does happen I think people do stick in their sport a little bit longer. So it's something to think about. It, it, it's tough enough to get into one, but I think people out there that want to be exposed to multiple sports, that's when you think about college. That's when you think about starting your own facility. You go into professional sports when you really love a game. You really love baseball when you work there. If you're in Florida and you're working high A as an athletic trainer or now PTs, there's more jobs. So like they rove Oh, you love the game. Okay. Let me tell you that one thing. You love the game. Don't do it. You don't love the game. No, no. Find something else. You love it. So that's the one thing with professional sports. You love what you're going into golf, tennis, the ATP tennis tour. One of my clients is on the, is work, works with pro tennis players. You got to have some love for it. You got to appreciate it Cause you're on the road. Sorry for going on and on about that. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's great insight. So let's, let's take it a step further. You love the game of baseball. You're committed. You know, you want to do uh, pro sports. That's your route. That's what you want to do. What does that roadmap look like? What's the process from PT school to, to there? Yeah. What are some landmarks you have to hit along the way? What are some, like, what are some tips and tricks you would give to a, a new grad looking to go that route? Funny you should ask. I did a webinar a month ago on, on uh, February 6th titled how to get your dream job in sports, how my PT career took flight with the St. Louis Cardinals. And I, I sent it out to all, you might've seen my email floating around there somehow. I sent it to every PT PTA program and they forwarded it to their cohorts. And I couldn't believe I got 1400 people on there. So one of the things I, a few, a lot of things I shared, but one of them was, and I, and by the way, I'll send it to you. You could throw it up on, if you want to share this with your, your community, it's all yeah, free absolutely. on YouTube. We'll, we'll yeah. Link in the show notes. Yeah. Um, and one of the things, for instance, like CSCS, let's start with that. A lot of people are like, should I get the CSCS? I'm like, if you want to work in professional sports, like consider that like a standard. You're not, that's not, it's like a PT license to practice PT. You, you're not even, it's not getting you a job. You get the CSCS, like you need that. So, but it's not going to get you a job. It's just a standard. So just check that right off, move forward from that. Then we talk about sports residencies or no, before that, we talk about sports clinicals. Do you need a good sports clinical? You should try like everything to get, not the most prestigious, the sexiest sports clinical, but you want a, prof you want a CI that really is going to help educate you and give you a background in it because being in orthopedics in, in your DPT program is not going to equip you with the high level ability to perform a good Lockman's and all those things. Like you're just not going to, it's rare to really be proficient at that. And so you, you want to seek out a clinical where you can get a little bit more streamlined one-on-one -on -one there doesn't have to be with the Mets though the sports residency this is what I tell people as a blanket statement I hate making these if you're not an ATC you do a sports residency because we're not as as you know and I don't know if you have an athletic training background but most of us 
We just don't see what athletic trainers see. We're not ready for that. And we can claim to be hotshot PTs. We are not, we're not hotshots on the field responding to yeah. emergency situations. I, uh, my, my brother's an ATC at ECU while I was in PT nice. school there. So I Good got baseball that. program. Yeah. I, uh, I, I was able to kind of learn a lot from him. And then just a side note, the SCS requires uh, emergency medical response course before you can even sit for the exam, which is a little bit different because again, like you said, PTs don't necessarily know that, you know, on the field triage stuff. So you kind of have to learn that somewhere else right. and they bring in that, you know, CPR and then the emergency uh, medical stuff for, to, to be able to even apply to sit for the SCS. So that's a little bit different when it comes to specialty exams, but shout out to high point university where I took mine and Eric Haggadis, uh, great staff. I was very impressed by them and I had a fun, that was a fun weekend course I did actually, but uh, yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, and I think it, it's great that they do that at least for sure. I feel like the sports residency definitely gets you to that point where you're in the operating room. You are really alongside the fellows, hopefully, and the physicians where you learn those pieces of sports and you're exposed to different sports. So I think it's necessary. I, I, again, I hate making black blanket statements unless you got the job already. I would really highly consider two things, a sports residency, but a sports residency that's aligned with your goals. That's, that's important. And I think one of the ways you can, one, one of the things I teach my, those I mentor in my, in my network, the injured to community, I have them together build an Excel sheet and I say, all right, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, let's put together a few columns here. First name, last name, name of the program, and then the area that they might be better. in. so HSS, what would you think HSS specializes in surgery? <laughs> you're going to get some good operating room experience, which I did. And I loved if that's not really something that you're looking for seeing a ton of ACLs reconstructions. Well, then maybe that program is not ideal for, for you. And so I, I encourage them to do things like that to figure yeah. out what's right for you. Yeah. They got to do a little bit deeper dive and really find which ones are going to be a good fit for them. You know, that, that makes a whole lot of sense. Well, one of the things, Dave, that you, you've done a great job of is connecting the dots. And the way I say that is you've met people that have connected you to other people that have connected you to other people. And, and again, you created the opportunities for yourself. How important do you feel that networking is when it comes to finding a pro level type job mm. and working your way up that ladder? Yeah, it's... It's uh, I, I, there's a spiritual side to me for sure. And I, a belief in some, some things there. I think it's so important. I think it's so important to connect the dots and it doesn't have to be linear. And I think a lot of times I have to catch myself in that. It sounds similar to the parallel of the story you told about your EDD and how it took you on a journey. I, oh man, I, I grew up in the same, grew up in the same Island you did. And somehow you end up in Florida working for the Cardinals and then you end up in Los Angeles working, doing different things, trying to bring it into the outside the team setting and then into the, to the athletes themselves. And then somehow I cut back through the country, back to Long Island. And here I am through COVID. And it's a, it's a trust that the, that there are these people and these resources and, and, and you have no idea how they present themselves. But let me tell you, they come. It's another man. You're bringing a lot of like just. I tend to think big, big fireworks. There's one of my favorite movies is October Sky with Jake Gyllenhaal. I don't know if you ever saw it. It's a, it's a beautiful movie about him, the Rocket Boys. And there's a scene where Jake is walking down an aisle, giving his first big presentation on a type of cylindrical device for a rocket, and. You know, he, this is in the 50s, uh, Homer, I can't think of his last name. And he gives this really amazing, he wins the science fair in, in, in his area. I think it was in the Carolinas or something, uh, or Virginia. And he, he gets off the stage, everyone's cheering and going crazy. And he's like getting, everyone's it's shaking his hand. And this is like his big, you know, his first, it's his Eminem moment, you know. <laughs> and he goes, and one guy with a German accent goes, good job, Homer, or, or whatever. And the next person is a reporter. And the reporter goes, how was it? How'd it feel? And he goes, what? And he goes, that was Warner Von Braun. 
you just spoke with Werner von Braun, who's, you know, a famous physicist, I guess. And he didn't even realize it. Do you know how many people out there and how many of you physical therapists out there and PT students out there are shaking the hands of quote unquote Warner Von Braun's all the time? I mean, you right here are probably somebody that's going to connect me. I already know you're going to connect me with somebody that I, I had no idea. I, I mean, you're meeting these people all the time. And at the same time, I'm sorry to go on my soapbox. I tend to do that at the same time. A bunch of you out there are also saying to yourself, your hands and your on your face saying, I'm not meeting the right people. It's the same story I told before about choosing the firing squad versus just walking out into the scary place. That was freedom. You're meeting these people all of the time. You got to be open and receptive to it. Absolutely. I tell my students, they, they should start networking from day one as a student. Because you never know who's going to be able to help you down the line or who you're going to be able to help down the line that's going to propel things into greatness. You know, I've been very fortunate and blessed because of this podcast to interview some of my absolute all-time mentors and favorites and, and just gods in the industry to me, yeah. uh, you know, whether people know who they are or not, you know, I personally held them on such a pedestal and I've been able to work my way up the, up the chain to, to talk with them and interview them and pick their brains. And, awesome. And, isn't it? Yeah. It's just, it's amazing, you know, and again, some of the opportunities that I've gotten have come because of this podcast. People yeah. have, you know, heard my story and, 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 you know, we interviewed each other and talked with each other and had a great chat. And then two years later, they come back around and say, Hey, I noticed you were interested in teaching where, is that still a thing? Are you, oh, well, yeah, actually. So, wow. you know, the oh, conversation you just, starts, you know, you and, just and made it's, my day. Oh, yeah. that's, that's cool. That's yeah, a cool no, thing. It's, it's definitely, like you said, a little bit of a God moment, right? A little bit of a spiritual thing, maybe uh, if you okay. choose to believe in that, but at the same time, I, we're creating these opportunities by opening these doors and, and, and reaching out, you know, and extending the, the hand, so to speak. That's amazing. So let's talk a little bit about this, right? You work on such a high level. You work with these elite athletes that are literally, uh, this is, this is the top. This is the 1% of, of the, you know, of the 3% that make it to the top, right? How is it dealing with these personalities, right? Is it, yeah. you know, sometimes you hear about these prima donna athletes and, and, you know, but yet sometimes you hear about a guy like Yachty, who's just a really great guy, you know? And yeah. I, I think of Tom Brady, I can't stand the guy. I'm a Giants <laughs> fan, right? But at the same time, I hear he's a great guy, you know? So it's like, oh, man, that, that sucks, you know? Yeah. How, how is it dealing with, with uh, personalities, multiple personalities that are so big, you know, and, and yet, you know, some of them actually not so big, some of them kind of humble, you know, what is, what does that look like in the professional world uh, when it comes to managing personalities? Yeah, there's a lot of stories I want to share about that and, and how I got into the mental. So that what you just asked me is the whole journey, full circle thing that took me back to writing injured to elite. A, a book I wrote about, you know, the mental side of rehabilitation. It took me right back there because what I realized was behind the facade of the toughness, whether they're a yachty like person or they're somebody that we, that that's troublesome in terms of their, 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 uh, their, their chemistry in the clubhouse, they or salty as we call them. They're humans like you and I, and they and they have a psyche and they have an identity. So, so where I go, because I've like sports, as a matter of fact, in an hour, a few hours, I meet with my sports psychologist mentor as I'm working on my CMPC through the Association of Applied Sports Psychology, trying to be a little bit of a trailblazer there as, as a PT, help help lead us a little bit and get us out the side of the physical world. And because we have so much to offer on the mental side. And so I'm trying to trailblaze that. Or, or I guess I am. Um, and because of this idea of what you're asking me, this identity crisis that it, I call it a crisis, really. These players develop these personas as these big, bad MFers because it requires it a little bit. Like Bo Jackson, he had a he had an alter ego. He he talked about being either Jason or Friday the 13th or Michael Myers when he was on the gridiron. So these professional athletes, they come off. I'll never forget meeting Matt Holiday. First day I meet Matt, you know, like Yachty was in there. Matt was in there. Matt's a big man. People don't realize probably how big he is. He could have played linebacker in the NFL easily. And he comes up to me and he shakes my hand 
and you know, he, he's, a, he's a big dude. And I was a little intimidated and he goes soft-spoken because that's how Matt is. And he goes, Hey, I'm Matt. How you doing? And I'm looking at myself, like, I know who you are, you know? So like these people have these personas and they're intimidating. Some of them are difficult to work with, but I, I'll tell you some things here in terms of working with them. First of all, try your hardest, like your life depends on it. If you want to be successful in this, to see them through that, just like well, <laughs> me and my former assistant will never, during spring training, we'd make fun of the grown men that would be at Roger Dean saying, Yadi, please sign my, <laughs> and, and, and don't, Bring that to look. It's okay. Tell them you love sport. You know, let them see your passion. But I, I'm not trying to be authentic. Be authentic. But you got to figure out a way to get past. You know, I had my David Wright moment. I was when I when I I felt like I was in high school. I felt yeah. like I fell in love when I met David. I yep. <laughs> I really did. Same. I had, a, I had a I had a moment. I did. I had a moment. It's hard I, not to fanboy when when that happens. You know? I I had a moment. I get it. You got to be professional still as well. I get it. You got to get through that because what I'm saying and what I'm getting at is like when Lance Lynn was in rehab with me. Lance is a very like he's just a bro. He's a bro, Lance, and he's a really good pitcher. But you he pitched in Texas actually. So you have but like when you're connecting with a guy like him, like you got to shoot the crap with him. You got to be able to do that. You got to be able to just like like flow with it and 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 just see it as if like you both were just kind of hanging out i don't care what anybody says like persona wise and identities let that go out the window you're on the same team when you work for a team you you, you know don't look at it as it's not doctor patient like throw that out this is a man that's making nine million dollars a year and and you are on the same team you are you are a cardinal you are helping him with his craft and you're out there throwing with him. Maybe you, you got to kind of meet them where they're at there. And, and, but to your point, the prima donna point, which is something that of course, like couldn't imagine how we dealt with it, but you know, when we went wrong, we went wrong when we fought it, we went wrong when we tried to fight. We, we try to take it out of them. The first, you know, the first rounder that signed for a ton, a boatload of money that had it, a didn't wasn't put in their place yet and we tried to put them in their place is always when we went wrong because then the player becomes somebody like a, a Jordan Hicks that throws 105 to 107 miles an hour you were trying to put Jordan in his place okay yeah Jordan from Texas by the way uh, you know no you're not putting him in his place he's going to become what he's going to become and so you got to embrace the personalities. You got to embrace the prima donnas. You got, look, I always say they're like high schoolers. They, they, in the sense of they, when they're having a catch, they're like asking each other, you know, they're very insecure. They're like high schoolers, you know, am I cool? Is my, is the ball moving well, you know, or, or, you know, do I look good today? That's, that's kind of how their mentality is because they're, if you're around, proving yourself your whole life, your identity is around this. And, and sure, you're going you're gonna to have a facade. Break through the facade. Break through it. Yeah, ever... and I think one of the things you mentioned that I think physical therapists are great at is adapting, right? Just mm. roll with the, the personality. Whatever they're giving you, take that and work with it. You yeah. Know? Because they get, then you get that buy-in, you know? And I think uh, patient buy-in becomes huge. And, and, and if you're trying to create team chemistry, that's a, that's a great way to do it. It's a good question. Yeah. Well, David, I want to circle back around to the book a little bit injured to elite. Tell us a little bit about that. What, what is that book about? Where can people find it? Uh, tell us, tell us your journey with that and, and the book. Thank you for asking. It's been uh, my, my work over the past really now over a year, I decided after I was in Los Angeles and I was really realizing the mental side of rehab is underserved. I had a situation with a ball player. He was sitting on a training room table was after my first, my, during my first year and he was sitting there cross-legged and I felt this negative energy and I'm, I consider myself an intuitive empath, but I, I was mad at myself because I missed this a little bit. And he was sitting there and I felt this kind of something was not right. He had Tommy John signed for $400,000 or so and his Tommy John rehab was going okay, not great. And I kind of just made light of it, kind of like you were saying before, rolling with it, kind of almost made a little bit of a joke kind of thing, not at him, but with him kind of thing. And then 
six months go by and I was so overwhelmed. I was trying to help everybody and chicken with my head cut off, but I was mad at myself because six months go by. And then we find out a player, uh, we came in one day and we said, hey, a player attempted suicide unsuccessfully, thank God. And it, and it was him. And I, and I saw it. And so I didn't fully miss it because I felt it, but I, I didn't do what I felt I should have, which was take him in the training room office and just have a full out, hey, talk to me. I, I, I sent something. Talk to me. Let it all out. Let it all out. And it was really bad because he was really close to, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was a situation where he was saved by his roommate. And I realized, look, I was a psych major undergrad in Albany, and, and that was my father's circumstance and, and, and seeing him struggle with his illness. Like I always knew psychology was where I was going to have my biggest impact. And I was in LA and I was working with patients. And I had my mentor, John Denny, who taught me a lot of the spiritual side and, and mindfulness and reset breath and heart math and heart rate variability, stuff, all these things. And I finally just said, you know what? Okay, I'm just going to start talking about this weird stuff with my patients. And then lo and behold, they started coming back and remembering what I told them. And we all know the thing of if one of our biggest frustrations in our world for the young youngins out here listening that professors will tell you is compliance can be problematic and people are not present. Their intrinsic motivation can be in a, a challenge. And finally, I was talking about these things that seemed to be scratching the itch they had, the, the things that nobody was talking to them about, talking to them about emotionally, how have you been feeling called emotional disclosure, Dr. Ross Wadey out of uh, UK who studied injury psychology, leading injury psychologist talks about, I let them disclose, I let them talk about it. I started giving them mental strategies of re breathing through it, conscious breathing strategies, the stuff that look, building on David Butler, Laura Mosley, Joe, I think you had Joe on your podcast, re or did you have Joe on? I think you had or, uh, Joe Tata. Yep. We, had, Joe, we had David Butler on Lerma Mosley still slotted. So we're, we're hoping fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was inspired by that. And I said, you know, let me write a book. Well, I was challenged patient of mine, librarian, mixed martial artist guy. And he goes, says, Dave, you have a lot to say, but I don't know if you could write a book. And Oleg, I always give him crap. I'm like, you don't know me. You challenge me like that. You're going to get what you challenged me with. And so I, I started brainstorming it and I was just looking through my old documents and it's so crazy how it, it manifested just by slowly getting that momentum of writing. And then before you know it, I got a 230 page book that's broke. Injured to Elite, a guide to empowering yourself to transform your life after injury. The idea is a, a, an, an all-encompassing guidebook for somebody who's injured or ill or mentally ill even or, or going through a breakup as an athlete or recreational athlete. And uh, uh, three sections. The first section is the mind. And you can get it for the first section you can get for free injured to elite forward slash listen. It's an audio book too. And you can hear the first full, uh, full section of my book, the most important part, which is all about the mind. So the first section is about the mind. The section, second section is about the physical progression, the fundamental movement patterns, learning how to, how to kind of own those. And then the last section is about finding higher purpose and, and using the injury as, or the, the illness or the, whatever it is, as an opportunity, I call it time zero, the moment you get hurt or you are your lowest point and it's all forward from there. Um, and I wanted a resource, just somebody can read, listen to while they were at their darkest hour, instead of having to go through weeks of physical therapy or chiropractic, I wanted to empower people. I wanted to shift it from us back to them and give them as much as I can. And, and it's a, it's been fun. Um, it's been fun seeing the impact it's had. Of course, it's not on the scale. My dream was to become a best-selling author of a few thousand books by now, six months after publishing, but it's crazy getting the feedback from a few people throughout the, I mean, I sold about 130 copies so far uh, and hearing some of the stories, just people in need at dark times, one of my clients is a skateboarder that had some gnarly ankle injuries and people are in dark places when they come to us. They're really vulnerable and we don't realize it. We just blame them. Oh, you're not doing your straight leg raises. Well, no, they're really, they're, they're, they're not just broken physically y'all. They're broken mentally. 
Yeah, I think you bring up a, another good point there. When, when you know, writing a book, it's about empowerment. Like a lot of people think it's selfish. It's for us. Like we want to write our book. You know, I wrote a book about you know helping people pay off their student loans uh, quicker nice. because you know that. student yeah <laughs> doctors of physical therapy are running out with hundred hundred fifty thousand two hundred thousand dollars student loans. So, you know. It had nothing to do with me. I had my 140000 but I had a plan to pay it off and, and I'm sticking to it, you know, and here's the ways that I've done it, um, you know, and, and I want to give you that power. I want to empower you to take the book and learn from it. Even if you just take one thing from it and implement it and learn it, it gives you the power. You know, and I think, like yeah. you said, when patients come to us, they're they're in a very vulnerable place. So being able to give them something, you know, uh, to empower them, uh, you know, it, it's super helpful. Plus it kind of, again, it builds rapport, right? It, it, it kind of establishes you as the expert on the subject. You know, they, they can come to you because they say, oh, he's literally written the book on it. So he's the guy, you know? You know, it's funny. I haven't been in a clinic since, since publishing. I haven't been, I haven't, I have not worked with one individual in person since publishing this book, all virtual. And so, and that's the vision is always, I've always said, I'm like, it's going to be really cool if I, if I ever find myself on site again, it, it day one, giving them the book would feel really cool. Absolutely. Just having it up at the front desk, you know, it's there, it's available. Plus, like you said, if there's somebody that really just needs it, it feels good to just give your book away. Like, a, you know, Hey, I think this may help go, go forth, have, have at it. You know, yeah. uh, it's a really neat tool to have because again, you get asked a bunch of questions and you answer them over and over and over and over again. Well, if you just put it in one resource and then it's just easier to just say, Hey, look, just, just read this. It's all in there. <laughs> you know, it's, it's true. It, it's nice. Though. I need your book, by the way. Yeah. We'll, no. we'll exchange books. We'll exchange yeah, books. absolutely. Absolutely. No, I love that. I've started doing that. Like, uh, you know, inscribing, uh, books and trading them off with other authors. It's been great. Uh, my, my collection is growing my library. I love it. That's um, awesome. Well, David, I, you know, I, I want to respect your time, but I can't thank you enough for coming on and for just sharing with our audience, you know, how to get into the world of pro sports. I mean, I could sit and talk baseball all day, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I could too. yeah, I know. Unfortunately, I know we have other things to do and, and, and real lives to take on and, and jobs and, and whatnot, but we have one final question that we ask every guest. And that, that question is if you could change one aspect of higher education, whether it be DPT or otherwise, what aspect would you change and how would you change it? Titles are overrated and our stories are underrated. This is becoming my tagline. Every time when I went on my first interview with Dr. Weaver at NYU and I was sitting there in the chair, I literally told him my story. I said, Oh, wow. You don't understand the story that got me in this chair. And in academia, it's teaching for the curriculum, for the standardized test, for the, the license and scope of practice. Why does academia exist? Academia exists for a way to formally educate and scale education to provide value to the student to then go and do something in this world to empower them. We've gotten away from that. Right now, we're in, it, we're in a fractured state in our healthcare and our, and our academic world because we've allowed the economics to overpower the, the somebody like yourself is a diamond of knowledge, of mentorship. And I think that there's a lot of diamonds in academia that can change, literally change the whole way all of this operates, that our healthcare system reimagining it. The only way we're going to succeed there or the way to succeed, the door to go through is to allow nothing to get in the way of that beautiful mentorship interaction, not the curriculum, not the title of doctor of physical therapy, not the tuition, nothing. Because at the end of the day, if we do that, we are going to innovate and grow and excel faster beyond belief. Who knows what the title is going to be in 20 years? And people like, excuse me, people like you that have had a tremendous impact on me, that one professor, Professor Weaver, for me, that just 
had a glimmer of belief in me that I could be the one PT student that was going to go and work in professional sports after graduating from NYU or the one resident at HSS that was going to go on to do something because I didn't believe in myself always every moment. And so having a professor that can truly embody that belief in their students and not tell them what to do, but just believe in what they want to do, we can change the whole thing. Yeah, big time. I mean, I sit here with two doctoral degrees and I'm easily the dumbest smart guy you'll ever meet. So if I can do it, anybody can do it, you know, and I've got a heck of a story. So I feel, you know, compelled to tell that story over and over and over again. Just let the students hear it, you know, see that it was, I was an English major. I had a BA in English from Wake Forest. So to go from that to, to doctor of physical therapy and now educational doctorate, I mean, that's, you know, ridiculous, but you know, at the same time it worked out. And now I hear, like you said, here I am trying to mentor people and show people that there's a, a thousand different ways to skin a cat. I don't think you're trying. World. I think you're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. think that's a little bit of an understatement. Well, no, I appreciate that. But, uh, you know, in the world of physical therapy, there's just so many avenues and, and, you know, so many things we can do with it. So if you want to do it, you know, heck, I, I uh, interviewed an esports physical therapist the other day. Awesome. E-sports. Awesome. Awesome. Literally athletes playing video games. I love that. I want to meet them. (laughs) Yeah. If if, if you can be an esports athlete, (laughs) physical therapist, you can do anything. I mean, (laughs) the first course that I ever put out was a fantasy football course on injuries of of, Uh, football season. Again, if I can create a course on fantasy football injuries, you can do whatever the heck you want. You can be whatever the heck you want. You know, you just got to love it, you know, enjoy it, go, go forth with it, you know, push forward. And if it doesn't exist, pave the way, do it your damn self. You know, this is this simple podcast, you know, just a podcast like this with, with, uh, with two people just masterminding really like this, like what we're doing here, this is the future of it all. The content is the future, the virtual side. This is the future. We are changing. This is people, please don't underestimate what we're doing here. It all, all it takes is a conversation like this. Well, David, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. I can't thank you enough. Where can people find you if they want to reach out and ask follow-up questions or just kind of see what you're up to these days? Yeah. Hit me up on Instagram, Dave M. Meyer, D-A-V-E-M-M-E-Y-E-R and send me a DM. I'd be happy to to talk to you, mentor you. I have Calendly links for, for mentorship and then injured to, uh, injured to elite.com, drdavidmeyer.com, Amazon, injured to elite. You Google me at this point, you find me. So thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks so much, David. Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere Healthcare, a telehealth platform, is a simple, low-cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare. To find out more, check out anywhere.healthcare, which is available on our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, healthcareeducationtransformationpodcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.